bro. What's up? Hey, man, not much. Just looking over my notes one more time. Awesome, man. I'm so fired up about the series you're starting today. Hashtag excited. Hashtag expectant. Yeah, I'm actually calling the series hashtag. Hashtag real talk. Hashtag relevant. Hashtag can't wait. Dude, it's going to be hashtag lit. Could be the greatest of all time. Hashtag goat. Hashtag Tom Brady. Hashtag Michael Jordan. Hashtag Wayne Gretzky. Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag always the right answer. For sure. So what are you planning to talk about today? Hashtag curious. Hashtag inquiring minds want to know. Hashtag LP Decatur. Hashtag church flow. I'm going to ask our people one question. Who are you listening to? I'm going to take my horse to the... No, hold up, hold up. We can't do that. Hashtag church video. Hashtag Old Town Road. Hashtag Billy Ray. Hashtag One Hit Wonder. Hashtag comeback. Hashtag don't call it a comeback. You know who else made a comeback? Uh, Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag Lazarus. Hashtag short-term comeback. No, bro. Avril Lavigne. Hashtag head above water. Hashtag dip, not dunked. Hashtag partial baptism. Hashtag fully immersed. Hashtag we Baptist. No, not that kind of who you're listening to. More along the lines of who you're letting speak into your life or who you're letting have influence over you. Because we have those people in our life, we think they're out for our good, then we need them most, all of a sudden they're gone, hashtag ghosted. Or those people who are going to lead you on, think they're going to be your friend, you make phone calls, contact, text message, and then all of a sudden you can't find them anywhere, hashtag playa, hashtag don't lead me on, hashtag middle school ships, hashtag breadcrumbing, hashtag Hansel and Gretel, hashtag evil witch! That's what I'm saying, man. We're so susceptible to being influenced by people and things that we really shouldn't follow. This series is going to be on fire, bro. Hashtag it's lit fam. Hashtag straight fire. Hashtag Cheryl. Hashtag she shed. Hashtag on fire. Hashtag another in the fire. Hashtag Hillsong. Hashtag LP worship does it better. Hashtag Jesus. Hashtag word of the day. Hashtag hundo. Hey, guys. Hey, what's up, man? Hashtag you're up. Oh, I got to go. Nobody said you couldn't have fun in church, right? So we're really excited about this series, Hashtag, and it's not really necessarily all that trendy because we want to be trendy, but it really talks about a couple of things that matter to us as people. But let me do a little bit of education first for some of us. Did you know that the hashtag or the pound sign or the mini tic-tac-toe board, whatever you want to call it, it actually existed about 700 years before it found its way onto social media? In about the 14th century, it was taken from the abbreviation of LB in Latin for pound, and then it was used in that sense in that way. And many of us know it or have known it uh, for most of our lives as the pound sign because later telephone companies used that symbol as modern dialing systems came into play and you'd always have to hit the pound sign. And so, But in 2007, a phenomenon happened and that pound sign or that mini tic-tac-toe board became known as a hashtag. And a hashtag was something that you could use that would kind of capture an idea or a group of people or a conversation. And so you could, you could hashtag a word or hashtag an event or hashtag a saying or a statement. And you literally could search the hashtag, whatever it might be, and track and follow along all this conversation with all these groups of people, with all this centered around this one idea and one concept. And today we have access to more information than we've ever had in all of our time in history. So much so that with a quick search of a hashtag or anything on Google or anything on the internet, you and I can literally listen to and hear what a million people have to say about an idea, religion, topic, ideology, or concept in a matter of seconds. And we have this access to this world's knowledge and information like never before. And it's great to have the access, however... That much information, that much, that much access, and that much going through our minds and through our brains does not come without its own pitfalls and without its own shortcomings. It's not void of, of downside. 
And so this is what I want us to understand today as we're going through this idea, because the series is really talking about who you influence by, who are you listening to, who are you following, and who are you influencing as well. And so today, asking the question, who are you listening to, this to me is the biggest downside of the access to information we have today. Let me show you. The biggest downside to this availability of information is not the amount of data presented, but rather, instead, our ability to discern and filter the quality of the content and intent of its presenter. Did you get that? The downside isn't the fact that we can access what a million people think about an idea or a topic in a matter of seconds. It falls on us with our ability to decide, to decipher, to discern, to pull wrong from right and find out exactly what's being presented to us or what's being presented to the world or being spoken by a certain religion, by a certain organization or by a country or by an ideology, whether or not we can discern whether that's true or whether it's not true, whether it's something that people are saying just because they want to gather people around a cause or because it's something they've always thought that they want to purport as truth and gather other people around it to support the idea and the system they've built for themselves. For us, the, the downfall is we have to take all of this knowledge and all of this information and all this access to what everybody knows, and we have to learn to filter it. We have to learn to discern and decide, is this true or is this not true? Because the presenter on the other end of the screen or other end of the phone, we typically don't know. We don't know their heart. We don't know their intent. We don't know their character or their integrity. We just know they're saying some things that sound like things we want to hear. We know that they're putting out ideas and concepts that resonate with us because we already have a preconceived idea, notion, or agenda of how we would like our lives to be and our lives to go. So we garner and we gather this information and say, look, all of these people can't be wrong, can they? And you and I find ourselves in this place where we get information from other sources and we don't even stop to think, is it true or is it right? That if it supports our preconceived idea, we simply just put it in our arsenal and add it as ammunition to say, look, what, the way I'm living, the way I'm thinking has to be true. We've all been there, right? Where we listen to people or listen to things that we, we wondered, we questioned, and we really didn't want to dive too deep into because we knew if we went past the veneer and past the first layer, we would understand that the things they were saying were not true, helpful, or beneficial, or the people who were saying them were not out for our good. They were simply just trying to support their own agenda. And so today I want to look at a man who's been in that very same situation you and I have found ourselves in before, where we listen to people we know we should not be listening to. This man, for most of his life, like probably a lot of you, have desired to follow after God, desired to chase after him, to listen to him, to hear his voice. And for the large portion of his life, this is what the course and the path of his life was. But he found himself in this one season, this one season of his life, that instead of chasing after God and hearing and listening to the voice of God and the advisors and the counsel that would push him toward the truth found in the word of God and God himself, found himself joining with and aligning with people he knew he, sh he never should have been aligned with to begin with. See, after King David and King Solomon, kings throughout the course of the people of God, after their lives ended, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. And they divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel and the southern kingdom was Judah. 
And unfortunately for Israel, the northern kingdom, a, a lineage and a heritage and a litany of king after king after king came through their people, and they were nothing but evil, no good, downright scum, uh, scumbags, right? So they, they didn't lead the people toward anything, do any good for the people. They were just out looking for themselves, chased after false gods, because they wanted to get for themselves an army, a people, a status, and a legacy. But Judah was just a little bit different. The southern kingdom of Judah fared just a little bit better, and from time to time, they would have men lead them who were more faithful, who were more godly. And so I want to look at one of those kings this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. You can look in your Bible or follow along on screen with me this morning. Verse 1 says this. Now Jehoshaphat, who was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Je Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage of alliance with Ahab. Jehoshaphat is the, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Ahab is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Now... Jehoshaphat should have known for all of his life and all of his days coming up into this position and into this point that Israel had nothing but evil kings, yet he decides he's going to align himself and position himself in this marriage alignment and form this relationship. And it's because at the very beginning it says Jehoshaphat filled with riches. Jehoshaphat looked at the kingdom of Israel and said, they have more power, they have more strength, they have more people. If I'll align myself with them, I might be able to have access to those things too. And Jehoshaphat knew he never should have been in alignment. He never should have been in relationship. He never should have been in contact with Ahab and the kings of Israel. But instead of listening and chasing after the voice of God, he decided to get and to garner and to gain material things for himself. And so he puts himself in this position where his life and the life of his people and the life of his family became intertwined with the evil men of Israel. And Jehoshaphat was just a little bit different. He, he kind of gathered this sense of organized court systems for the people, which brought justice to them. And he encouraged them spiritually. He built their military. And so Jehoshaphat had done a lot of good things for the people of God and for Judah. But in this one season, this one instance, he, like you and I, kind of diverted off of a different path. And instead of listening to God, started listening to things that helped him prop up his life that he had desired for himself. Continuing the story. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. So here's Jehoshaphat and here's Ahab. They have this alliance that they never should have had. Jehoshaphat never should have brought himself in relationship with Ahab, but he cannot stay away because he knows that Ahab has access to all the world's knowledge, all the world's wisdom, and all the world's possessions. And Jehoshaphat just simply cannot stay away because Jehoshaphat wants to build for himself this kingdom that will leave a legacy and a heritage that people will remember for the rest of his life. And so he goes down to talk with Ahab, and Ahab rolls out the red carpet, right? I mean, he just throws it out there, and, and he has this banquet, and they have this food, and after they're eating, and after they've had the best wine in all the land, and he gets Jehoshaphat to a position where he's ready to ask a question, he induces Jehoshaphat, which means Jehoshaphat would not have done this on his own. And so Ahab uses these things, tickles his ears, speaks things to Jehoshaphat, and says, look, come join with me. Join with me and we'll take over this kingdom and we'll continue to build our kingdoms together. And so he induces Ahab, he induces Jehoshaphat. And I want you to watch this. Even from the very outset, Jehoshaphat has, has dove in so deep that he's put himself in a difficult situation he cannot get out of. Continues in verse 3. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, 
will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, Jehoshaphat answered him, not just, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. He said, I am like you. I am as you are. My people are your people and we will be at war with you. Whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you desire, I'm with you. Just forget that I'm even existing. You take over control of my life and I will identify with you and I will put myself in position with you. And you guys know this. We've seen this. If you've been parents before, you've seen it in middle school over and over and over and over again where your kid just wants to be like somebody else that they lose control of their own life. And they tell that friend, just tell me what to dress like. Tell me how to talk. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. And you just simply lose possession and control of your own mind and thought process and way of life. And Jehoshaphat found himself in this position. And he could not, he simply could not say no to Ahab. Because saying no to Ahab would jeopardize all of his riches, all of his status, all of his kingdom, all of his people. And he would be stripped of everything he ever desired and wanted and hoped for. And so he put himself in this situation and put himself in this alliance that he couldn't get out of. And I think you and I have found ourselves in that same position before. We've chased after other people. Maybe it happened by chance or maybe it happened by choice. We so wanted to be like somebody else or like a group of people or align with a certain ideology or philosophy or join an organization or have someone of higher status or higher significance consider us a friend or a partner in life or in business. And we chose to align ourselves with them, to sit alongside of them for the practical and future benefits it would afford our personal life and our careers. And we've gotten ourselves into a position where we have shifted our values. We've skirted around the truth and the law and ethics. And we found ourselves in a position and a place we never intended and it just all of a sudden over time just happened. But you and I know it didn't just happen. We didn't wake up one day and all of a sudden our values are different or our thought process or perspective is different. It started long before when we made a decision to give up control of our own thinking and our own plan and chasing after the truth and knowledge of God where we gave up in that moment and we said we'll sacrifice walking and knowing God walking with and knowing God for the things that other people can afford me if I align myself with them right it sounds like a parent talking to a bunch of kids right <laughs> I just I feel that way when I'm talking to you I don't mean to talk to you that way but it just feels like this is on repeat at my house like you have to be careful who you align yourself with because what they say will influence what you do to the point that you don't even realize who you are after a certain period of time. And so Jehoshaphat finds himself in this difficult position in verse 4. Jehoshaphat said to the king, inquire first of the word of the Lord. And so he's like grasping at straws. Like he knows deep down this isn't the right thing to do. He knows that this is not what his parents taught and this is not what he knows is right. I found myself in that position. I mean to get off on this story. I found myself in that position when I was in middle school. And we had a kid in the neighborhood who just moved in and all the other kids said, hey, let's bring him in and act like we're friends with him. And all of a sudden, we'll just be mean and be ugly and like chase him out of the whole neighborhood. And it happened. And I was like, this isn't right, but I'm going to do it because everybody else is doing it. And my parents had told me for months, don't hang out with that kid or those kids that lead this group because something bad's going to happen. And I found myself literally in that moment, a surreal moment, as early as I can remember, doing things I didn't intend to or plan to or want to. I just did because I'd aligned myself with people I knew I shouldn't have aligned myself with. And so Jehoshaphat's just grasping at straws. Can we find somebody that's going to tell us the truth? And he continues, 
in the next verse. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. He says, sure, we'll get some people together. So he gathers 400 men and said to them, Shall we go to the battle against Rahab, uh, Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And so he brings these advisors that have always been around him. He says, you tell me, you guys tell me, because 400 people can't be wrong. So you tell me if we should go enter into this battle. And they said, of course, go, go up, for God will give into your hand the people, and the king will be successful, and you'll win this battle. And so, of course, they're like, go, go fight this fight. And surely Jehoshaphat, surely he knew He had to have known deep down in his heart that Ahab would never surround himself with people who would tell him the truth. He had to have known that he would just gather for himself advisors and counselors that were going to tell the king whatever the king wanted to hear. Joseph's not stupid. He was a king. He had to have known that this evil king in the northern kingdom would never put himself in a position where someone would question his agenda. They simply would come alongside of him, tickle his ears, tell him whatever he wanted to hear to support the plan and the system he had developed for himself and for his people. Jehoshaphat says, but we have to find someone. And Ahab's like, look, I've got all these people. They're going to tell us what's true and what's right. But Ahab knew they weren't going to tell him the truth. They were just going to tell him what he wanted to hear. And I think you and I in our world and our society today, we find ourselves in the very same position. Do you know why most people aren't really speaking the truth anymore? It's because most people aren't willing to listen to it. And so we speak things that are half true or or pseudo true or partially true. Enough truth to feel like we're honest, but then enough falsity that supports what we hoped our lives to be. And you know why we don't like truth? Because it hurts. Because it causes us to reconsider and question everything we'd ever built our life on. And our natural response is defensive. Every single time, I don't care who you are, how long you've been living, if it's not external, it's internal. Our very first response when somebody speaks truth to us that is contrary to what we believe, what we think, or how we've lived is automatically on the defense. Because how dare you tell me what's true? How dare you question what I'm doing? And I'll say this again at the end, but one of the things that we have to realize and understand, and I know absolute truth is being washed away in all kinds of ideologies and thought processes, but really that's the most illogical thing you could ever say. Like truth is truth whether you want to believe it or not. It's still going to be true. Your belief in it doesn't change it. That's why it's true. You and I can't create it. It just simply exists. If we could create it, we'd have a thousand truths, and our truths would conflict and be contrary with one another, which means one of those can't be true. The idea that absolute truth doesn't exist is the dumbest thing anyone could ever say. And we have arguments, and people are more intellectual than me. They'll probably destroy me in that type of argument. But just simply because somebody has more intellect or knowledge, or different perspective, or desire for life cannot change the truth of what actually exists. But sometimes we like to say, oh, no, 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 that's really not true because it's not what fits my life. And Ahab, the king of Israel, he readily admits this. Like in his statement, he says, I get it, I, got, I understand. I'm not listening to truth, I'm just gathering people who are going to tell me what I want to hear. Verse 6 and 7. 
He says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, sure, yeah, there is one. There is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla. He's like, yeah, there is one. I'll admit, I'll acknowledge there is this guy who's going to tell the truth, but I've gathered these 400 guys who are going to tell me what I want to hear, and so I really don't want to have anything to do with him. And here's why I don't want to have anything to do with him. Because I hate him. (laughs) That's why. He speaks truth, and I hate him because he speaks truth, so I don't want to hang out with him. He says, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good, but always evil. I'm like, well, okay, Ahab, I- I'm with you. Like, if there's a guy who prophesies evil all the time, I'm on your side. I'll be with you. I won't like that guy either. If they're speaking untruth, falsity, and evil, I'm on your side on this one, Ahab. Like, let's go charge him, and let's put him on the poster board for everybody to say, don't listen to this guy, because he prophesies and speaks evil. But that's not what Ahab says. Ahab says, I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me. He never says anything that I want to hear. He never agrees to my plans. He never aligns with what I've laid out. He never agrees with my thought process. He never puts a rubber stamp on where I'm headed. He never says, dude, it's okay. You got this. You're you're good with this. You do whatever you want. Ahab didn't hate Micaiah because he spoke untruth. Ahab didn't dislike the prophet because he was wrong. Ahab disliked him because he told him the truth. And that wasn't what Ahab wanted to hear. Those two words, concerning me, changes everything. Because unfortunately, you and I think we can bend the truth to fit what we've already planned. But the truth isn't bendable. It's not moldable. It's hard and fast and true, whether we like it or not. It's not a respecter of persons. It's just simply in concrete. This is for the rest of time, so there's no disillusion, so there's no uh, misunderstanding that it is true, no matter how long you have lived, where you have lived, when you have lived, or what you think. It simply is true. And man, doesn't that one sting a little bit? Because sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. We want to hear what we've already planned to hear. And so instead of listening to the one voice that's going to speak truth to us, we gather as many people as we can that will support our ideology and plan for life. And we, like Ahab, will push off and say, yeah, 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 there is one, but he never speaks anything good. He never says anything. And we discount the person speaking truth, and we don't tell other people the reason we discount them is not because they're wrong, it's because we don't like what they have to say. And so the story continues. And Jehoshaphat tells the king, he says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't, don't dismiss him. You're smarter than that. Don't dismiss him that quickly. Let's get him and gather him. So Ahab, instead of looking silly in front of all the people, says, sure, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Bring him to us. And so at that moment, as they send for this prophet, they're waiting for him. All these other 400 false prophets are sitting there in front of these two kings. And one of them, Zedekiah, starts this kind of Macbeth-type deal, I don't know. He grabs horns and starts doing this play in the ground and in the, in the dirt, and he grabs these horns and he runs around like a fool, like an idiot, and says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to battle, kings, and you're going to win the war. And all the other 399 prophets and advisors and counselors start going, go, triumph. You go, you got this. Whatever you want to do, you go attack it. I don't care if it's true or if it's not true or if they've got more people than you've got. You just go. This is what you've planned in your life. This is what you've purposed, what you've desired. So we're going to create 
create this story that matches what you've already desired for you. So you guys go. And this whole scene is happening in front of the people and in front of these two kings. And so you imagine when this one prophet who is going to speak the truth is coming down the road and hearing these chants and knowing he doesn't have a shot. It doesn't matter what he says, how often he says it, how many times, or how true it is. He is walking into a stacked deck. He is walking into a rigged system, and he has one voice standing against the masses. Truth versus tickling ears. And he has no shot. And so he walks up to the king. And the king tells him, okay, you, you tell me what, uh, what, you want, what I want to hear. Verse 14, he says this, and when he had come, we bring 14, yeah. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead? The same question I asked all of my other prophets. Shall we go to battle or shall I refrain? And this one prophet who is going to speak the truth says, go up and triumph for they will be given into your hand. Now you and I can't understand because it's black and white on paper. But if you're standing there listening in on this story, Micaiah is being as sarcastic and ironic as anybody could be. He's like, sure, king, go right ahead. I, I heard everybody else said you should go. Yeah, go right ahead. You, you got this. Right? You ever had anybody do that, patronize you and kind of be sarcastic and you kind of know that they're being sarcastic and it cut, catches you off guard? Micaiah's like, it doesn't matter what I say to you. I, it doesn't matter because you've already made up your mind. You've already decided this is what you're going to do and what you're going to believe. And what I say has no bearing on the outcome of your life or decision or choice. So Ahab was shutting him down. And Micaiah says, sure, go right ahead. You, you do whatever you want to do. And so the next verse, the king says to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you're going to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? How many times do I have to tell you that this is what I need you to do? And so Ahab, or Micaiah stands before the king and says, okay, if you want the truth, I'll tell you the truth, even though you can't handle the truth, right? Good old Jack Nicholson. I'm not an actor, sorry. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> I'll be here all week. Sorry, I'm done. <laughs> So he stands before him, and just like Zedekiah had kind of made this enactment and this prophecy, Micaiah does the same thing. He tells the king two things. One, you're going to go to battle, and it's going to be as your people have been left for nothing. You're going to lose this battle. And the second thing, king, I want you to know, that God wants you to know, that all these advisors and counselors you've gathered around you, God himself has put a lying spirit inside of them so they can speak nothing but false things to you. That's, that'll catch you off guard. Now, how evil of God to do that, to speak false things to a king. God was simply just giving him over to what he had already desired and planned for his life. And I tell you, there are times we have to be very careful, very careful, where God says, you've already purposed and planned I'll give you the affirmation you're looking for because you aren't going to listen to any of my prophets. You aren't going to listen to any of my word or any of my teachers or any of your friends that I have sent to speak truth to you. So I'll just turn you over and you'll walk down this path and at some point it will lead to destruction because all you have done is gathered people and things and ideologies around you just to support what you've already decided to believe. And there's a point where we have to be careful when we choose to only listen to whom and what we want to hear, 
we end up surrounding ourselves with people who have nothing of value to say. We have people talking. We have people saying things. We have people with lots of knowledge and lots of degrees and lots of influence, but they have nothing of true value or worth or meaning to say. They're just simply saying what we want them to say and what we've already decided we wanted to hear. The ironic thing is, the truth was standing right in front of Ahab and he could not see it because he had bent his ear toward personal gratification more than the truth of what anybody would say to him. He could not discern. He was flooded like we are flooded with information from 400 advisors. And he could not discern right from wrong. He could not understand the right way to go. And God says, if that's what you want, I'll give you over to it. And they continue in verse 17. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? He said, look, I told you, this is what he was going to do, and this is what he did. And at that point, Jehoshaphat should have known, like we've been in that position, like I should have known with those middle school boys, I should have known they were taking me down this wrong path. There's a whole lot of Proverbs 1 and 2 right in all that. If you don't know it, go home and read it, okay? I should have known in that moment. But I was so deep, I was so far in, I could not pull myself out. And Jehoshaphat should have known this was his moment to get out, but instead the two kings head off to battle, to a battle they were destined to lose. They had no chance and they had no shot. And Jehoshaphat was putting himself in danger and could not see it. Verse 28. So the king of Israel and the king of Jeho- uh, king Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And so they continued on this path. They go on this journey, verse 29. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, look, <laughs> like, My parents told me, you should have seen these boys are not out for your good. They're not doing good for you. Like, you should have seen it a long time ago, and this should have been your moment. These verses we're about to read, like, anybody with any kind of common sense and perspective should know what's happening. Like, it should be clear. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I'll disguise myself and go into battle. Like, I'm going to look like all the other soldiers, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to wear your robes and really make it known that you're a king. I want to put a spotlight on you, and I'm going to go over here and hide. Because if you know anything about military battles in that day, they would go after the uh, attacking and the enemy king. And if they could destroy the king and kill the head of the snake, they'd kill everything else. And so Ahab says, I have a great idea. You go wear your robes, and I'm going to go look like the commoners over here, and I'm going to stand in the back, and we're going to push you out in the front. You're going to stand out front and you're going to be the king. You're going to be known and you're going to have influence. You're going to leave a legacy. People are going to know that you led the charge in this. Like, if he didn't recognize at any other point, that's his moment. Like, doofus, wake up. Like, seriously, how is that a good idea? Jehoshaphat had been under the influence and the sway of Ahab for so long building up his own kingdom, his own desires, his own plans, his own status, career, and success. That he was literally putting his life in jeopardy and the life of his family, the life of his nation, and the life of the people of God. And I wonder how many of us have done the very same thing. We know we shouldn't have aligned with those people or that ideology or gone down that path or read those things or, or created this structure that we've created for ourselves. Or we just simply didn't want to hear the truth. At some point we got so far in we didn't know how to get ourselves out. 
And so they go to battle in verse 31. And as soon as the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, because he's the only one looking like a king, like he stands out like a sore thumb. As soon as they saw it, they said, it's the king of Israel, not the king of Judah. They thought it was the king of Israel because that's who they were coming for. And Ahab knew, so Ahab put Jehoshaphat out front and said, I'm not here for you, I'm here for me. I'm going to let you die, then I'll have both kingdoms. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat finally, finally cries out to God and says, I have made a mistake. I have gone down this thought process for far too long. I have thought this is what life was about. I have thought these were the people who were out for me. I thought they were speaking truth to me. And I have finally realized at the point of my death, and he says, all I could do was cry out to God. And immediately, God helped him and drew the enemy away from him. For as soon, in the next verse, for as soon as the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. I don't know, maybe this morning, some of you, maybe over the last 30 minutes, God has started to speak into you, to open your mind and your heart and your eyes to see that maybe this perspective isn't what I thought it was. Maybe this ideology isn't really true. Maybe these people aren't speaking truth to me. And maybe today, just like Jehoshaphat, you say, God, I, I, I'm stuck. I'm in this so far. I don't know how to get out. And so I'm just going to cry out to you because I have no other chance and no other hope and no other shot. And immediately, God came to his rescue because God can change and renew our minds and our thinking in a heartbeat to give us the mind and the eyes of Christ that are so far above us, to give those to us in Christ that we can see the truth where it was muddied before. As I said earlier, the truth is truth, whether or not you want to choose to believe it or not. To think that it's not true because of what I think is to put myself as king and God over all the world, and I didn't even exist from the beginning of time till the end of time. And to think that what I think about truth and that I can shift it or bend it is one of the most illogical things that we could ever irrationally say. Because absolute truth is absolute truth, no matter what anybody else thinks or has to say about it. Because in the end, truth has this uncanny way of winning every single time. Verse 33 says this, but a certain man drew back his bow at random. One of the Syrians of the army, he just randomly, he wasn't aiming at anything. He wasn't shooting at anything. He just closed his eyes and pulled back his bow. And when that arrow flew through the air, it struck the king of Israel, the one who was disguised, hiding out, thinking he was going to protect himself. It stuck him between the scale armor and the breastplate. And therefore he said to his chariot, turn around, carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot. And by sunset, he was gone. Because no matter what we believe, no matter what we think, no matter who we follow, no matter who we listen to, truth always wins. Because it's truth, because it comes from the mouth and the voice of God, because he is truth himself. And my only question today is why wait? If you found yourself, if you're in one of those situations or positions, why wait any longer to cry out to God and say, I need you to change my thinking. I'm not sure if I'm correct. I don't know if those people are out for my good. I know I followed this path because I thought it would fit what I desired for life, but I've come to a realization that what I think may not actually be true. And why wait? Why wait to find out at the end if it is or if it isn't? Why not ask the one who knows 
And today may be a day that you just say, sit in your seat or come to the front and say, I, I don't know, God, I'm not sure. I just need you to speak truth to me because I don't know what I'm hearing and what I'm thinking, what I'm believing that's correct. And so I'm just going to ask you to do that. Let God deal with you today, wherever you are. Whatever you thought, he can change the way you think so that you can see and hear and know and live the truth. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning you would help us. We find ourselves in these positions where we don't like to be wrong. None of us do. But sometimes we have to admit that what we've done or what we've thought, what we've believed is not really in concert or in line with who you are. And it's hard to admit those. That's the hardest step to say, God, I've been wrong. I thought this other life or this other plan or these other people would lead to success and peace and hope. But God, I'm beginning to think that they may be wrong. Father, give men and women in this room the courage this morning to say, God, I'm not sure, but I need you and I know you can. And so I'm crying out to you this morning to speak truth into my life. And God, give me the courage to hear whatever it is you have to say. Father, we ask that you do that in the name of Christ. Amen.